I was back there just praying and got a tap on the shoulder. Uh, need to start getting up there. Okay. Let's pray. I know Brooke just prayed, but we're going to pray again. Father, we worship you and we praise you and we desperately love you. We desire your will to be done. Father, even this morning, you know my heart's desire is that you take my mouth, you take my words, and you do with them what you want. That nothing comes from me, because anything from me would be a waste. Father, we only desire to hear from you. Because in you, you promised through your Holy Spirit insight. You promised through your Holy Spirit to peel back layers of understanding. Perhaps you will peel back some layers this morning. I sit in anticipation of what you want to do. Because I do know in which the times that we live. Father, we love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. It's interesting to me, um, yesterday morning, the Lord was talking to me and gave me this idea. And I thought, oh, wow, you're telling me early, right? Normally I don't hear till Sunday morning or so what, what he has and and here it was yesterday morning. Lord, you know it's Saturday, right? <laughs> or am I wrong? And he lays this on my heart. And we talk about it a little bit. And then I go to the gifts meeting. And Brooke brings up that very thing. And then Alexis brings it up a little bit later. And I'm like, okay. Well, Lord, maybe that was actually for today. And not for this morning. So show me. Show me what you have. It is for today. So it will be an expansion of what we talked about yesterday at the gifts meeting. Because what the Lord has shown, what this laid out as, or is, one of the most powerful traps that Satan uses to ensnare his people, the people he goes after. And it's a very common thing. In, in fact, when we start talking about it, you're, you're going to resonate with it right away because it's something that everybody has done and many people do even just by habit without recognizing what it really is, what it really means, and the devastation that it really does. And I think it's funny, I don't, I don't know about you, but all the years that I've studied the Word of God, and, and you go through the Old Testament, and, and you can tend to develop a frustration with the children of Israel. Now, recognize something. The Word of God is about Israel, okay? It doesn't mean that Israel were the only rebellious people in the world, Right? Israel was 
God's chosen nation, whom he chose to work through, and that is the functionality of what the book is wrapped around, how he worked with those people. But please understand, and I know most of you know this, but it all applies to each one of us. And in studying this, there, there's, a, there's a certain frustration that gets developed. I, can, I could say for me, but I would imagine for most people, when you're reading through you know, Exodus and Deuteronomy, and they're coming up to the spies going into the land, and then they make this decision not to go, and you're like, no, no. And then they go through this 40 years, and then after that, you've got the judges, and you've got all the kings and everything else. And each time, it's turning away from the Lord. Each time, it's running to Him, receiving what you need from Him, and then turning away again. And it's kind of frustrating when you read this. Think, how in the world, Lord, come on, these people. And then he sits there and says, you know, you're just like them. The entire world is just like them. And all of it begins in one area. And, and really it's such a small thing when you think about it, but to God it is such a huge thing. And I didn't realize this until we really started understanding the spirit world. Until we started and began to understand how the enemy uses things that we do not see, or even more, that we do not think he sees, or anybody sees, or hears, for that matter. I want you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Numbers chapter 14, and... You know, this is, just so you know where we're at in Numbers, is this is basically after they came out of Egypt and, and they've gotten to uh, the, the edge of, of the Jordan and they've sent the spies into the promised land and then those spies are now coming back and they give this report, right? That's what's happened up to this point. And where we're going to begin in verse 1, this is the reaction of the people. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry. You know what? Let's, let's actually back up. Uh, let's back up to, let's back up to chapter 13, verse 31. Just, just to give a little bit of uh, background as to what's going on here. So you'll understand the, the reaction. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against these people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seem to them. First of all, there's two things in there really, really important to pull out and to understand. How you see yourself is how you 
think the enemy will see you. Right? They seemed to themselves as grasshoppers, and therefore they believed that that's what they seemed to the others. The reality is, we know 40 years later, there was no contest. Right? The children of Israel went in there and conquered the land. Because God conquered it through them. But how they saw themselves was important. They didn't see themselves as children of the living God. They didn't see themselves as conquerors because he told them they were conquerors. He didn't even see them, they didn't even see themselves as freed slaves, which you're going to see here in a minute. They saw themselves as defeated long before there was ever a war. Verse 1 of 14. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. Now, recognize this is not a small group of people. Okay, this, is, this is a large, large group of people, well over a million people. And, and by the way, where, where we get that, I, I won't go into it now, but, but that actually can be calculated somewhat accurately because of how they form in, in the desert. Every time they had to set up camp, they went and they set up a certain distance from the center in each direction, four directions, and it actually tells the distance, and you could kind of calculate that based on people. So we know it's not... There were not just a small group of people. This was a large group of people. Verse 2. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Now, if you're like me, I underlined a couple of words there. The people of Israel grumbled. Right? They had just gotten this report. They had, they had just been weeping that night. And then they made a critical error. The error that I'm talking about. They grumbled together against Moses. We might call it gossip. Although gossip has more of a positive spin or, or you know, kind of like that we're just telling this tale. In this case, they're grumbling against whom they figured put them in this position in the first place. They didn't go to him. They didn't go to God. They went to each other to complain. Wow. If that doesn't hit every single one of us, then we're not listening. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we have died in the land of Egypt. Or would that we have died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Recognize what's going on here. Recognize what they've seen. Just weeks earlier, they were in Egypt. They were in Egypt as slaves. They all saw the miracles. The warfare literally that tore them from Egypt. They were led out of Egypt 
by God himself. And the army of Egypt, they were defended against that by literally God taking care of that army. They've, they've seen all these things. And yet when they get the bad report, their, re, their response is, let's go back to Egypt. I would rather be a slave. I would rather be a slave than to go and fight what I think will devour me. I mean, look at the extraordinary lack of faith. But you know how that was ramped up? By the grumbling. By the murmuring. By the disputing. By the speaking in the tent. Going over to the neighbors. Man, can you believe that report? Can you believe that report? The Nephilim are there. The giants are there. They eat people. (laughs) They go after everything and consume everything in front of them. Can you believe that? I can't believe Moses would do that. You know, I would love to understand some of those conversations. Was there anybody in those conversations in the tents that stood up for what God wanted? Well, yeah, but, but hey, we got out of Egypt. You know, God took care of the Egyptians. Certainly he could take care of this. Were there none? Were there no voices that could stand up? We know of the 12 spies, there were only two that stood up. Ten that gave a bad report. Joshua and Caleb were the only two that stood up. Consequently, they were the only two that were allowed to go from that original group. So now they've grumbled, they've, they've murmured, All in the camp, going from tent to tent, talking. Let us choose a leader. This is not just coming out of one tent. This is the grumbling amongst all of the people. Man, we look at this and we have to understand something. We we have to put ourselves in that position and recognize that when we're reading this, we are reading it literally bullet points out of the concept of time. This is not something that happened over five minutes. This is certainly something that happened over days. And you know, it's interesting how God gives time for a reaction. He does it all the time. He gives time. Think about it in your own life. He gives you time to react to something because that is your real test. Your first response to something usually reveals a deep-seated place of your heart. That response that is worked out and given over the course of that time is the test that God places before you. Are you going to talk to your neighbor? Are you going to go home and talk to your friend how, how this has brought you to a place? You're just so unfair. What this guy's doing at work. My boss is doing it. We're so unfair. Now, see, we justify that because he's not even in our lives, perhaps, the people that you're talking to. But that is the murmuring. That is the disputing that's going on in the spirit. I think if we had a picture of what's really going on in the spirit, 
when our spirits are forced to agree with our will. <laughs> oh, man. I, I, I can just imagine it, it's like a feast for the enemy. It's like a feast. Oh, come on, keep talking. Keep talking. Man, that was unfair. Yeah, you, you talk about that. They were unfair to you. Yeah, they did you wrong. Start talking about that. Murmur, dispute, get people on your side. Only to recognize in this case, it was the side of the enemy. Let's keep reading. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of people of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we passed through to spy out is exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land and give it to us. This was such a statement of faith, such a statement going before and against the murmuring and the disputing. Literally, God giving them another chance. Come on, believe. Would you just believe? Would you just believe? It's a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land. For they are bread for us. What a statement. What a statement. See, what Joshua and Caleb are saying there is, Don't fear those people that are literally placed before you to annihilate. Their provision of their land is what God has for you. Don't rebel against Him. Just believe it. Just believe it. Give faith into what He is telling us. Their protection is removed. Talking about those in the land that God wants the children of Israel to conquer. Their protection is removed from them. Joshua is saying, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Oh man, verse 10. If we could take out some of these verses and redo history. What amazing changes would have happened. Verse 10, then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Can you imagine? I mean, put yourself in that place. Put yourself in that place and the courage that was required of not only Moses, but in this case, Joshua and Caleb, who were the ones who were convincing, trying to convince that, no, we can do this. This is what God gave us. Imagine the situation they're in, where the entire nation turns against them. Picture it. Put your plane, put yourself there. And when things start to ramp up and they say, let's kill them. Look at what they've done to us. Let's kill them. Let's take them out. Makes no sense whatsoever. Makes no sense. We could sit here and say that. Makes no sense. But honestly... Turn on the TV. That's what you see going on every day. That's what is going on right now because it is this spirit of unrighteousness that is brewing so heavily in people. 
And man, I, I gotta tell you, this is the sad part. The authority isn't coming because it's brewing in the world. Satan already has the world. The authority is coming because it is brewing in those who are children of God. No different than right here. God wasn't upset because the Nephilim in the land were upset. No, God was ready to take them out. To take their lives. They weren't the issue. What upset God was his children saying, I don't believe you. I don't believe you. So look at God's reaction. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. Boy, talk about a way to shut people up. The glory of the Lord appeared. By the way, every time the glory of the Lord would appear at the tent of meeting, that was Moses' time to go in and speak with the Lord. And we won't pull it up, but, but the scripture says that he would go in and speak to him face to face as a friend would speak to a friend. So this was an intimate place. The children of Israel knew that when Moses went in there, when the, when the cloud shone above it and the glory of the Lord shone above it, they knew that Moses was going to get a word from the Lord. And he went in there and spoke with them, or spoke with the Lord. Verse 13, but Moses said to the Lord, I'm sorry, back up. Verse 11, and the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? How long will they not believe in me? Man, please, 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 people, do not push this away thinking this is not you. Because it is. We take circumstances all the time and we believe according to those circumstances. We look at our lives and we judge our lives based on those circumstances. Instead of based on the promises of God. Based on what God has promised His church, promised you individually. Hold on to those promises because what happens is you start to see circumstances be different. And then you say, oh wait, maybe that's not God. No, wait, you know, it makes more sense for me to do this because I know this works. Hold on, let me go talk to four or five people about it. Share how upset I am. Because that's, that's cathartic for me and... And when I vent, I feel better. The only thing you don't realize is you are literally releasing hell against you. Literally releasing hell against you. How long will these people despise me? How long will they not believe in me? In spite of all the signs that I have done among them, I will strike them with the pestilence, and disinherit them. And I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. Wow. I mean, man, it's so easy to read these verses and not envelop yourself into them and get the impact of what that means. 400 years of slavery. 
coming to a place of victory by being taken out and given freedom. Only to be brought to the place because of lack of faith of being destroyed as a nation. That's literally what God said. I will start over. By the way, this isn't new. He, he had done that before. That's what the flood was about. Now, let's read Moses' reaction. I'm just going to say right off the bat, he is a better man than me. But Moses said to the Lord, verse 13, Then the Egyptians will hear of it, for you brought up this people in your might from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that of you, O Lord, are in the midst of the people, for you, O Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands over them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and in a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill this people as one man then the nations who have heard your fame will say, it is because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land that he swore to give them, that he has killed them in this wilderness. And now please let the power of the Lord be great, as you have promised, saying the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation. Please pardon the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. See, Moses stood in the gap for them. And this wasn't the only time. In fact, there was another time where he said, Lord, literally blot me out of your book. Blot me out of your book if you're going to blot them. That's what I mean when I say he's a better man than me, because what he was literally saying there is give me hell if you're going to give them hell. Take me out of your fellowship If you're going to take them, imagine, imagine the love that he had for this people that did not care about even themselves. And then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. But truly, as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and yet have put me to the test these ten times, and have not obeyed my voice, shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. And none of them who despised me shall see it, but my servant Caleb and, and Joshua. See, the Lord relented. What brought the Lord to a place of destruction was the ramping up of a lie not to believe. The ramping up, the murmuring, the the disputing, the the speaking amongst each other in the tents. Let's, Let's go to another one. Another example of this. 
if I could get my fingers to work, turn to Exodus chapter 15. And we, we have a couple of them here. Exodus chapter 15, verse 22. Then Moses, and this is, by the way, this is after, after they, you know, they, they went in, despised the land, and everything after we just read, and the Lord said that you'll wander the wilderness until that generation is gone, right? Which is what he just declared. So this is during that time of wandering. Verse 22. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? Under that, Underline that in your Bible. The people grumbled. Again, notice that was the first thing that happened. They talked to each other. They grumbled with each other. To literally the spirit on that is wanting to get agreement. Not just agreement with you, because he already has that agreement. Because if you have made a choice to feel a certain way, you are giving agreement one way or the other. In that murmuring, in that disputing, in that talking behind others' backs, what he's doing there is the spirit is trying to get agreement with others. Because they work as a pack. When there's greater agreement, there's greater authority. Man, you talk to any, you talk to any, I, I, Lex and I have been in church leadership for, I don't know, better part of 30 years in church administration leadership. And every pastor I've worked with will say the same thing, tell you the same thing. The de- most destructive thing within a church is the gossip. It is the talking behind backs. It's the opposite of Matthew 18. It's the opposite of going when you have an offense, going to your brother. But you know what? Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. And sometimes it's, it's in a good light. You know, I, I just want to talk about it because maybe, I, maybe I'm seeing things wrong. But then how you shed that discussion is, is really how things will go in terms of that being gossip or really trying to seek the Lord. I can't believe they did this to me. I can't believe they would any statements that begin like that. Beware. Those are coming from difficult places. And you may think it has nothing to do no power comes from that. That's just me venting. It's kind of, kind of how God made me. No, he didn't. He did not make you that way. That's how Satan has brought you to. You were not made to be that way. None of us were made to talk like that. None of us were made to tear down. The Bible says we were made, in fact, to build up. And how easy it is to talk in those situations. And interestingly, there, there are times where those conversations are important. Certainly in leadership. You have to. If there's something going on in a, in a company or in a church or whatever, leaders have to discuss what's going on. 
The intent of the heart is very important. The intent of what we discuss with other people is very important. Even our intent of why we want to do it. Are we wanting to do it because it's cathartic and makes us feel better? Or are we doing it because we really want to seek truth? You know, sometimes if we were wanting to really seek truth, then the people we talk to would probably change. Right? Because we tend, when, when it's cathartic, when we want to just vent, we tend to talk to people that we know will be in agreement or, or can be easily swayed to that agreement. But see, that's the playground that Satan begins to fester in and begins to work in. And it's not a quick thing. It's not an overnight thing. It's an overtime thing. See, the children of Israel had been grumbling since they left. Literally since they left Egypt. They were even grumbling during the time of leaving Egypt. I mean, go back and read it. They were grumbling in Egypt when they were slaves, and they were grumbling when Moses was there to, to, for God to work through him to get them out. They were, they were grumbling once they were out. And on the flip side of every single miracle, the first thing you see is that they grumble, that they speak. Satan uses that to begin to build this army of authority that he has. Another one, and, and we, we won't, uh, I, I didn't read this, did I? Oh, Verse 24, and the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? Then Moses went to the Lord, and that was taken care of. Another one is in chapter 16, just a few verses down. Verse verse 2, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, said to them, "Would would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat at the meat pots and ate bread to the full? For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Again, just another example. But I wanted to read these because there's a very important point here. What were the children of Israel looking at? They were looking at the natural. They were looking at what's in front of them. Wait a second, but in Egypt we had food. We had meat. We had bread. We had water, we had, we, had everything. we had wine, we had everything we needed. Yeah, the work was really hard. Yeah, we were under oppression. We couldn't worship as we are supposed to worship, but, but we could eat. Our needs were met. Wouldn't it be better to go back to that than to come and be under our Father who promised us all these things and we don't even have food? Wouldn't it have been better to just go back? I mean, imagine. But yet we do the same thing. We step through our lives looking at what God says to us and then filtering it through the natural. Well, you know, this happened to me, that happened to me, and this happened to me. I know God said this, but these things happened. So so really, I think maybe that's what I'm supposed to do. Do you know, if, if we were to judge God's will 
on circumstances like that, we would never have a Moses. We would never have a David. We would, do, you, do you think David, circumstantially, would have gone up against Goliath? No. Because circumstantially, the rest of Israel wouldn't go up against Goliath. David went up against Goliath because he knew the Lord would do it. He knew that the Lord would put Goliath in his hands. There was nothing natural about that. But yet we do that all the time. We know the promises of God in our own life. And as we step in those promises and things hit from the right and the left, then we, then we take those things, oh wait, okay, maybe, maybe I should do this or maybe I should do that. Or maybe, maybe we're offended somehow and then we go and talk with other people about it. Again, layering all of this authority to the enemy. Do you know what that does? That gives him the right to put more things in your life. When you give authority in the small ways, when you give authority even in this murmuring, then he has authority to do other things in your life. And yet we don't recognize that because we don't see the spirit realm. We just see what's in front of us. We just see the obstacles. Or we see what we think are open doors. If you're judging your walk based on doors being opened and closed, or conversations that are opened and closed, you're, you're in for a rough road. You know, as we read scripture, when Jesus came, you would think by then, they had the Torah, they had the Old Testament, they had the major and the minor prophets. They could go to synagogue and hear about them every week. You would think they would have learned lessons from that. But they didn't. And that's why I suggest to you, neither has many in the church. I want you to turn to John chapter uh, 6. Now let me, let me set up what's going on here. And I'm going to read a lot of this because this, this whole story is really important, but I, I want to set it up for you. Right? Jesus is preaching and he goes ahead and he give, he, he feeds the 5,000, right? And just stay with me. Right, he's preaching, and you know the story. It's a long day, people are hungry, and he goes ahead and he feeds the 5,000, right? You're all familiar with that. Then, it's kind of over with. The disciples get in a boat to go across, and he doesn't get in the boat with them. So that night, he walks on water over to get to them, right? Okay, that's all happening before where I'm going to be reading. Then, he's over there. And the people realize in the morning he's gone. Okay, Jesus, who just fed them 5,000, and, and by the way, it was a lot more than that because that was just 5,000 men. It was probably more like 15,000 people. They realize, oh man, that guy who fed us yesterday, he's gone. He went, in a, and, and I know his disciples, they went in a boat, but, but we didn't see him get in the boat. Where in the world did he go? 
And then they recognize he's on the other side, so they literally get in boats and go after him. That's what leads up to where we're at here. Okay, the people that Jesus is about to speak to are the people that were the recipients of that feeding of the 5,000. They were the recipients of those miracles that they got to see with their own eyes. Then verse 22 of chapter 6. On the next day, the crowd remained on the other side of the sea and saw that there had only been one boat there, and Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Our boats from other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. That was the the bread that was miraculously given, the bread and the fish. Verse 24. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what, was, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. I can't believe they asked that. I mean, think about it. These people literally just saw miracles. And now they're asking, what sign do you offer us? In other words, yesterday was yesterday. What do you have for us today? What do you have for me today? See, see, yesterday, that food's already worn off. I need more today. I need something from you. What are you going to show us today? Almost like he was a little... Circus trick monkey or something. I don't know. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Now the line in the sand. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, 
and I will raise him up on the last day. See, Jesus just laid out what he had for them. Remember, probably well over 15,000 people that had seen this incredible miracle now are, are, are there asking him for something else. And he, he says, I, I am the miracle. Do you not see? I am the miracle. And then the sad words in verse 41. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Now recognize what's going on with this group. It isn't because all of them individually grumbled within their hearts. That's not what happened. They grumbled amongst each other. Can you believe what he just said? You know, I mean, we, we haven't eaten since yesterday. We, we, we came over here thinking that he would give us food to eat again. And he, he's talking about some bread of life from the father. You know, okay, give us, give us bread so that our, our foods, our, our, our stomachs can be filled. They start grumbling together. Neighbor upon neighbor. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Verse 43, Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. By the way, please please understand that it says draws him there. The Father never forces. The Father whom he chooses through foreknowledge will never force you to do the Lord's will, ever. But he will draw you. He said to those who who draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, verse 45, it is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Imagine him saying that in the context of what they were receiving it. See, we can look at that. We, we know his flesh was offered on the cross. We know the end from the beginning in that case. They did not. To them, this was just a hard statement. Verse 52, the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly. It's like like God, when he goes for something, he's going to push it. To the nth degree. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Imagine that statement. 
He is speaking to a people that by law were not even allowed to touch blood. We're not even allowed to touch dead flesh. That would make them unclean. And he's saying, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part in me. I mean, imagine the reality of this happening with this crowd. It's important for you to then understand how it still happens today. Verse 54, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up in the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread of the fathers that the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Verse 60 is the difficult reaction. When many of his disciples, now this isn't talking about the whole crowd. Okay, this is talking about people that were intimate with him. These are people that have been following him for, for potentially a long time. Knowing him, seeing his miracles. The word disciple there is follower. They have been following. They, they literally laid down everything to follow him. So many of those followers heard it. They said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? In other words, in today's vernacular, it's, I cannot believe he said that. I, I can't even listen to that. I cannot even believe he would say that. You can imagine people today saying that. Where am I? 51. 51? 61. 61. Thank you. Sorry. But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives the life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning of those who were who did not believe in those who would betray him. And he said, that is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the father. See, going back, he said in, in where he said, do you take offense to this? Then what if you were to see the son of man ascending to where he was before? What he's asking there is, do you not realize that I am God? You know, if, if that's a hard statement for you, how are you going to feel when you see me ascending to heaven? How, how would you react then? See, he knew right then that these disciples that were grumbling, these ones that were not, not following and, and taking hard what he was saying, that they were not believing him. They were not believing who he was. Wait, wait a sec. This is Mary and Joseph's son. Doesn't he like build tables or something? 
How in the world can he be this bread of life? I mean, put yourself in this situation. Because, see, we, we judge according to our circumstances all the time. Before, it, let, me, let me finish this, though, because it's interesting. Verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter, and praise God for him, he answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God, that he is the Messiah. See, they knew that through intimacy with him. They knew that through relationship. Because the circumstances were no different for them versus the other disciples. But with the other disciples, they took the external things that were happening. In this this case, what Jesus was literally saying. And they judged the path according to that. If we don't press into the Lord... If we don't follow him only, then we're going to be knocked off track. If we begin to murmur and we begin to dispute things that are said, and we start giving this authority away, it starts to chip away at how we see that pathway. Do you see what I'm saying? When we talk negatively, even about somebody else, do you know the spirits use that? I can't believe they are such liars. They're absolute liars. See, the spirit, first of all, uses that against you because it's murmuring and disputing, but uses that as an accusation against them as well. I know this. The word of God says this. Literally, Satan is seeking whom he can devour, seeking how he can devour them. We have seen in the court systems these, these examples given of people that have, have done this, have said this about people, and it, it racks up as evidence. In Job, that's what was tried to use against Job, his friends or supposed friends. See, we need to be careful, as we talked a few weeks ago, about what comes out of our mouths. We have to be careful for every careless word. We have to be careful even of our thoughts, because it chips away at the very faith that God wants us to walk in. Because you know what? This is no different than right now. See, this was radical. What Jesus said, we can look at this and say, well, yeah, of course, Jesus wasn't talking about actually eating his flesh. His flesh was going to be offered on the cross. And, and if we do not take full part in that and carry our own cross, then, then we have no part in him. I mean, for us, it's easy to recognize that, right? But it still happens today. When we're hit with things that may not make sense to us, when we're hit with even things that are happening around us that go and fly in the face of what something God has said. It doesn't make sense. 
how we discern that and how we handle that is critical. If you're on your knees before the Lord and just, Lord, I don't understand this. I don't understand why this is happening. Claim the promise that when you seek Him, you will find Him. Claim the promise that you can have answers to those questions. But sometimes the answer won't come in a moment. Sometimes the answers come in a while. Because the Lord needs to see, are you going to seek Him? Or are you going to murmur and dispute? See, that flies in the face of unity. God wants his bride to be unified. Unification comes from that openness of letting the Lord do what the Lord is doing and really believing. Not like the children of Israel that we're going to believe based on the circumstances of today. Either you believe or you don't. It really is as simple as that. How you navigate through it, that may not be simple. Because, man, a lot comes against it. I, I, know, I know even in what the Lord has told us as ignition and what has come against us, in many ways, could be crippling. If we were to look at the circumstances and take our eyes off of what the Lord is doing, it could be crippling. But see, the Lord doesn't intend for it to be crippling. He intends for it to be enhancing. Even what we face that we don't expect, that we don't understand, that we don't even have an answer for, he is there to press into, and he will give the answers. But don't assume don't assume, don't base what you believe on things that you know. You know, circumstantially, I mean. Because that's what the children of Israel did. If, if that's the case, then God can truly not do, in your life, cannot do a new thing. When he said, behold, I'm doing a new thing, can't you see it? Right, that, that he told in Zechariah, I think it was chapter 3 or 4. How are you going to see the new thing? If all you could see is the circumstances. If all you could see is the obstacles. You won't. You have to have, just like what Jesus told them, you have to have eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit is doing. See, his, he came in spirit and in truth. That's what he is doing even here now. And it's your choice to believe. Come on up. I'm amazed at how the Holy Spirit works because the women that were in the ladies' class know that we talked so much about this. And... Um, and I just want to mention two things before we close in prayer, and that is this doesn't mean to be shut down and not 
um, get answers to the struggles in your life. It's remembering that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We address issues all the time, but it's always through the lens of the heart of the Father. You know, even as parents together, if we're addressing a, a struggle with one of our girls that we want to have wisdom and talk through what the guidance and what the decision-making or, or help might look like, the important thing is that we agree together with the heart of the father over our daughter. It doesn't mean that, doesn't mean that we ignore the problem at hand. It means that we go after the source of the problem. We agree together to pray about it, never speaking of it and ignoring it just so that we don't talk about it isn't what's being said. It's the lens through which you are, are discussing it. And um, is it in agreement? It's really like what we talked about with the women downstairs. Our speech, does it agree with truth and with the heart of the Father over that situation? I always want to, no matter what kind of negative situation I might be dealing with, um, with you know, my children, my husband, my family, my life, to ultimately see it through the lens of what God wants and, and fight for what he wants because sometimes there are real problems that we deal with. But I want to speak over the situation and the person through the lens of what God sees. See others in your life how God sees them. Man, that'll, that'll give you a, a, a change and an ability to um, forgive that is supernatural, uh, an ability to heal even from hurts. When you see that Jesus died for the very person that has been a thorn in your life or has been hurtful to you. And uh, it's just an amazing game changer. And the only other thing I wanted to mention is when I look at what he mentioned about the new thing. You know, if you want to walk in the extraordinary, if I want to walk in the extraordinary of what God can do in a life, I've got to be able to live with things I do not fully understand. Because true faith is going to be a place of the unknown and the uh, out of my comfort zone. It doesn't mean that God does not always prove his word. He is true to his word. And he, um, he will always prove himself out through and by his word. But sometimes, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, sometimes we... We just have to say, look, I can't lean on my own understanding. I'm just going to trust you. I'm even going to trust you to keep me from being deceived. And as long as you're producing the fruits of the Spirit of God, which are laid out clearly in the Word in Galatians, if those fruits are being produced, then I trust that you, God, you are able to keep what I desire, my, my belief in you, to keep that which I have committed unto you against that day, as Hebrews says, and I've quoted many times. But I think it's so important because sometimes we get afraid that, well, if I just, if I just let go and believe for something new, what if I get caught into some deception? But you know what? Like the scripture says, if, if a father, if his child asks him for bread, will he give him a stone? No. And, and the heavenly father says, how much more will your heavenly father give you the Holy Spirit if you ask for it? So we can trust him. If we seek him, we'll find him. And, um, but when we try to do it with all these parameters of, well, I have to be careful of this, be careful of that, we do have to be careful. We have to be careful. We have a pure heart. But to walk in the extraordinary has to be a place where I'm okay with things I don't understand. 
and I just trust. And I remember being a little girl in the back of a car, a station wagon, and we'd go on these trips to Brainerd, and I didn't know how the car worked. I didn't know where Brainerd was. I just knew that my father was driving the car, and he said we were going to Brainerd, Minnesota to visit some friends, and so I just held on. And that was the station wagon with the two seats in the far, far back that you folded up, and they faced one another, and I'd never heard of a seatbelt most of my life. That's how long ago that was. And um, I just trusted. I trusted. I, I rode with the faith that what he said would happen. And that's our, that's our approach it has to be with God. We may not be able to grasp all of what he is saying, but are we willing to trust him? Are we willing to trust him to even keep us on the right path? That's the beauty of it. And, um, and so I, I pray for each of us. I, God's really dealing with me in my own life to have my speech, my jesting, my sarcasm, my everything be in agreement with his heart so that the enemy can't indict me or what I'm speaking about. He can't indict that situation because of my words. And that is a, such a game changer. And it will increase the power and authority with which you walk. Um, so, and it has given me a greater boldness in my prayer. I have a really, I, it's been amazing God, what God has produced when I pray. He just has given me this, he answers prayer. I mean, we kind of all know that conceptually. But when you go into prayer knowing fully that what you bind is bound, what you release and loose is being released, and what you ask for, you will receive even to a mountain being removed. That's an incredible thing. And it will make you pray more, more often, with greater authority. It will make prayer a time of refreshing, not a discipline of a drudgery that you have to do. It's just, it is a game changer when you actually believe that, um, that what you speak out when you're in agreement with the Father's will and for his glory, that he will do it. And there's so many awesome verses that support, uh, that teach that. And so, um, so I'm just, I'm encouraged, but it, but it is a process and, uh, and I still have to, he still will show me areas where, yeah, don't say that. Or, you know, little nuances of things that, that as he's changing this paradigm through process, he teaches me, oh, don't speak that way or, you know, and it's never condemnation, which is so amazing. When the Lord Jesus corrects you, when the Holy Spirit corrects you, it is something that makes you feel grateful. It's like, oh, thank you. Thank you. That's it. It releases something of a, whew, boy, you helped me dodge a bullet there. I'm so grateful. You know, when there's shame and, and a feeling of just, uh, well, I'm just worthless, that's condemnation. There is therefore no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. But do you have a spirit that allows the Holy Spirit to correct you? Because, man, his correction and reproof is, is just like, it's like a blessing in your life. Because I don't know about you, but I, I don't want to be in the grips of the enemy at all. I don't want him to be able to use anything. He may attack unlawfully, but I don't ever want him to get a lawful foothold in my life to come against me or anyone I love because of something that I've done. And, and that pathway to purity is possible. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this word this morning, God. Oh God, you've taught us so many things about walking with you, trusting, and the result and the cost of not trusting you by this, to the children of Israel and the leadership and calling of Moses. And God, I thank you. I thank you for the beautiful word that you give us 
but help us, God, to see that in context of our real life timing now, Lord, that, that the walk that we are in now, Lord, still has a cost when we decide that we don't want to believe or we begin to reason within ourselves and lean on our own understanding and then begin to speak that out or just begin to speak this reality rather than the true reality. Father, this world, this life, this is only a shadow, a mere shadow of the actual reality in which we live. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that when we accept you as Savior, we are citizens of heaven. God, your kingdom is what we seek and your righteousness then you will add everything else. So God, I pray that you give us strength to seek you first and believe you. And then just like you say in Romans 4.17, as being the God that calls things into existence that did not previously exist. Father God, help us to by faith believe you for what we don't even see yet, which brings it literally into existence, into this realm. That is what being kingdom carriers is. We call forth the healing. We call forth the resolution of a situation, the deliverance of a person, the the reconciliation of, of brokenness, the comfort for pain, all the things we seek you for, the provision for any lack. God, we call it forth because it is already in your realm. And our faith just calls it forth into existence as we seek you, God. Lord, help us to be faithful, to ask and keep on asking, to seek constantly, because we will find, Lord. I just, I pray we just keep on knocking, as the scripture says. Keep us faithful, keep us pursuing you. Give us the strength, Lord, because there is just, oh, there's such a delight, Lord, in all that you are, and not just what you give, but just in being able to, to fellowship with you, to walk with you, Father. To know that even without some of the things in this realm we think we need, God, that you really are enough. Wow, you really are enough. You really are the bread of life itself. And that we never thirst when we drink from the water of your Holy Spirit. So God, I praise you. I worship you, God. You are so worthy of our praise. Thank you, God, for this word. And I pray that it would just... Go deep down into our hearts and produce a harvest of a transformation into more likeness of you, God, because of what we've heard today. I pray these things, Father, in the mighty and holy name of Jesus. Amen.